0: This is episode number 265, Getting Vulnerable with Mindset Coach, Polly Bateman. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day.
1: When I learned to look after me, and I learned that I had value. Like I say to everybody, our value doesn't change from the day we're born to the day we die. The only thing that changes is our perception. When we're getting things really right, we'll feel better. And we're getting them really wrong, we'll feel worse. And our perception will go up and down. And I took that on and thought, right, well, that means essentially it's never really changed. And if you took an average, it's pretty flat line through life. You are never changing. value. You're always valuable and unique.
0: you're new around here a big happy welcome and if you are somebody that has been here before or is one of the awesome listeners that comes back every single week I am so glad that you're here also a big thank you to those of you who share my newsletter on your social media it's something that I work really hard on just like this podcast and it's really important to me to be able to bring information that is helpful to you and makes your day just a little bit better this week's newsletter was about how to view competition in a healthy way and how competition can actually make you better. And it's so easy to get focused on being intimidated by because people are better than you or because you're worried that you're not going to stack up as well. But competition is such a great way to get the most out of yourself. So that was what that newsletter was about. If you like anything mindset and motivation, make sure to subscribe to the newsletter. It comes out every single Monday at sanyaloni.com newsletter. Let's jump into this week's guest, Polly Bateman. Polly Bateman is a mindset and performance coach, and she works with clients to recognize negative patterns in behavior and barriers that reinforce themselves. By facilitating a shift in mindset, Polly helps her clients progress in life to become more fulfilled and happy. And if you listen to this podcast or you follow me at all on Instagram or wherever, you know that mindset is one of my number one passions because our thoughts create our reality, And in a lot of cases, we have the ability to train our mind to choose what we want to focus on in life, and what we focus on in life dictates our life experience and what we believe that we're capable of. That's why I created my Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy, because I wanted to share all of the things that I've learned over the last 10 years through my business and through racing on how to be more optimistic, how to set goals properly and achieve them, and how to find more fulfillment in what you're doing. There's so much more covered in the Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy, but I just wanted to let you guys know about it in case you haven't heard and you're looking to up your game and work towards your potential. And you can find that at SonjaLooney.com and just click Mindset Course. Let's get back to Polly. Polly believes that we are our own problem and solution and that everything we need to lead a fulfilling, productive and happy life is within us. And I really believe that too. And it's just a matter of moving past our self-imposed limits and having the tools and support so that we can do that. And that is another reason why I got a certification in health coaching so that I could help people with their behavior change too. So Polly and I connected on a lot of different levels, and I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. We talked about vulnerability, about coaching, about mindset and performance, and a lot more. Specifically, we talked about how to be vulnerable with yourself, because sometimes that can be really hard to be honest with yourself, the three fundamental triggers, dealing with the past without it defining your future, how to break habitual patterns and identifying your blind spots, and things like dealing with rejection and failure. And there's so much more we covered in this podcast, but I think you're going to get a lot out of it, and I'm really excited for you to listen to it. So let's jump right in, and here is Polly Bateman. Polly, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much, it's good to be here. Yeah, it's really exciting to get to talk to you because we have a lot of things in common, a lot of uh, the things that we're passionate about, helping people with their their mindset and their performance. It's just so cool to get to talk to somebody else about this. (sighs) Thank you, yeah, great to be with you too. Yeah, so let's take it back a few steps. How did you get into this field? (laughs) Well, I think that we're always
1: on a journey within ourselves, in many senses. So how I got into it, yeah. I I had a pretty challenging childhood for all sorts of reasons, but actually I'm so comfortable with now. Just my mother was very young when she had me. She moved around an awful lot. My stepfather was quite an aggressive um, human and, and I'm like super at peace with all of that now. But equally, I also had no relationship with my father growing up. And the point of all of that was, was that I was quite an insecure young woman and I kept people very much at arm's length in my twenties, I was very entrepreneurial as well. And actually what I came to was in my early thirties, I was offered the opportunity to work in a job that was working within the military setting in global locations around the world, wherever military units were based when they were hospitalized and things. And that's where I fell in love with people. I don't know if it's because they were injured and underneath me and maybe half naked in bed and something, but (laughs) there's just the whole relationship shifted. Their vulnerability was something I really understood. And I fell in love with what difference we can make for somebody. Uh, because in the process of in the, being in the job we were in, we were trained to help in high trauma, in palliative care, in counseling, and all the various elements that when you're dealing with someone who's vulnerable and feeling a little bit broken, they might need support and help with for, you know, in any situation. So when I, having sworn I wouldn't marry a military man, met and married <laughs> my husband. <laughs> I, I don't want to do that. I don't want a mobile life, but I did. And I always joke that I married for love this time. So in the next life, I'm coming back to just do it for money. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's been a thoroughly mobile life, which I particularly don't enjoy. But anyway, there's been some great experiences along the way. It felt supernatural in that moment to train up as a coach. And very briefly, I think I was a pretty average coach for about 10 years. I had done lots of diving into various different modalities of coaching, like NLP. Um, I did a bit of psychoneuroimmunology, the whole mind-body connection. I have become a certified international health coach. You know, I was one of those junkies that kept going on course after course after course. But where it really hit me was in 2016, my husband went away for a whole year on a military tour to the Middle East with the American and British Special Forces. And our only child went away to boarding school because we're a fully mobile family. And I didn't plan to have only one child. I, I wanted a big family, but I'd had lots of miscarriages carriages at that point. I'd had six at that point. And so it kind of wasn't mine to have. And I, I became really sad. And in the process of getting sad, I couldn't understand why I'm like, ai showed up like this. So I didn't even sound sad, you know, because I'm quite a positive sounding person. I'm an alpha female. I'm a get out there and do stuff. I'm like, right, I'll go and take the dog's for walk. I'll make this work. I'll paint the garage. I'll sort it all out. But deep down inside, I was disconnected. And I reached out to a very like a high earning coach. And I said, what am I missing? And it really annoyed me because he nailed it. And he said, well, I just don't think you've been deep enough. He said, you don't really know why you show up the way you do in life, do you? And I was like so mad because I'd done all those courses and yet I couldn't explain why I did. And in that moment, I knew that I was going to have to do a super deep dive into me. (laughs) So I kind of cancelled all clients. I wasn't really seeing that many anyway. And I did this huge dive into why do I do what I do, think what I think and feel the way I feel? What has us show up in life the way we do? And it's super fascinating what it is that does that it's super fascinating what brings around the experiences and I funnily enough I've literally just been teaching this today about how we we build our stories from our limited brains capacity as a child and two plus two equals 15 and then we form these core beliefs around these narratives where our simplistic brain can't make sense and cannot see the whole picture and we dive into, these versions of ourselves these narratives like their reality they become core beliefs and then our whole brain and chemistry and physiology is set up to confirm them back to you and ultimately what i discovered was that i had a kind of deep core belief that i didn't feel very worthy and that i didn't feel very lovable and no one had done that to me no one person had set out to create that mindset for myself it's just kind of how it had all unfolded and there's this chronic disease in the world of not enoughness for everybody anyway. We all feel not enough and people are constantly compensating and and trying to make it like work for themselves in their life. And in the process of going through all of this, what I learned was that the the way your identity gets put together is all a systems of learning how, how to survive different scenarios, so different ways of being. And we develop these ways of being to survive. But who wants to just survive? (laughs) And it's not until you recognize how you got formed that you can do anything about it, because you can't objectively look at it. You don't even know that you're doing it. You're just being run by your machinery. And it's not your fault. You're not faulty either. It's just your truth and how it occurs to you.
0: Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of really important points there. The first thing that I heard was, You really value vulnerability and you liked being in a place where others could be vulnerable with you but it sounds like you were afraid to truly get vulnerable with yourself until you met this coach who asked the right questions so that you could have that introspection to say wait a second i I have i'm still there's still onion layers of this onion that need to get pulled back so and it also sounds like maybe you were afraid to do that. So how did you get to that point where you could get that vulnerable and that honest with yourself? Because I think that a lot of people have a really hard time doing that because it's scary to look yourself in the mirror and come up with what you came up with. I'm, I don't feel like I'm worthy and this is holding me back. So how did you get there?
1: That's <laughs> such a great question and such a great way of paraphrasing that place that I got to as well. I found that there is something consistent and it was how I felt. And it's very consistent in how my clients feel when we start working together. People are either, it's either non-negotiable that they've got to get where they're going. So they need to work out how to get out of their own way. That's less of it. Usually it's because people are just so sick of their own stuff. They're sick of the noise and the negative self-talk. They're sick of stuff not working, that they just get to a place where they're like, enough. You know, and I have, um, I have a bunch of very young and cool founders that I'm working with. But I also have a bunch of C-suite. And those are people who have been on the kind of treadmill for a while. And then they're just like, what was this all about anyway? And enough of it just always feeling like a struggle. And that's that's so uninspiring. And that's exactly where I got to. I was like, what? I'm like a nice human. I help old ladies over the road. I look after animals. You know, I'm like, I'm a good person. I'll give you my last dollar or pound. Why does my life not work? And I was, I remember thinking like, what is this stuff where people talk about, you know, being in flow with the universe? What is that anyway? (laughs) And it wasn't until I did this deep dive that it all began to make sense that, you know, we make our life in the image of ourselves, but we don't even know we're doing it. So, you know, it became super important once I discovered this. I was like, wow, this is not knowledge to keep to yourself. This is knowledge people need. This is knowledge to share. And I got you know, quite driven and passionate about that.
0: Yeah, I think that a lot of times, especially alpha, a driven busy types will tend to use busyness or working towards a goal or as an accomplishment as a way to sort of run away from that insecurity to to feel valuable and worthy because you're doing, but really underneath it all, you still don't feel that way. And you keep chasing these things, trying to fill the void that never gets filled. Totally, totally.
1: It's, um, it, I, I actually call it, it's like polishing a turd. You know, instead of <laughs> dealing with the core belief you kind of putting icing over it, a bit of glitter, and you're just polishing it, hoping it'll go away, but it's still a turd. You know, a turd for me is a crappy belief that you've got about yourself. And the only way to really jet wash that thing off is you've got to deal with it, you've got to face it. And, you know, for me, I found it utterly liberating as I began to realize that I had built a narrative and built some pictures, and I'd gone through some key developmental stages and decided stuff about myself, I was able to have empathy for me. You know, the, we're never broken. We feel broken, but we're never broken. But what we do get, what occurs, is we get sort of disconnected from ourselves. And the biggest thing I found is that when you can restore your relationship with yourself, you can restore it with anybody. But it has to start here. You know, we have three fundamental triggers, which are, am I safe? Am I loved? Am I enough? And they are very early in life, those awarenesses. So when we don't feel enough, like we think today we're arguing about the dishwasher, like don't put the glasses in like that. (laughs) The subtext is, if I was enough and you listened to me, you wouldn't put the glasses in the way I keep telling you not to put the glasses in. And that's a a fear. Our not enoughness is a fear because if you know I'm not enough, (gasps) then you'll find out that I'm probably unlovable and that will make me unsafe because you'll throw me out the tribe. And equally, the other person being told to put the glasses in the dishwasher differently or whatever it is So stop telling me how to ro- like run my life. Just listen to me. If you listen to me, you'd see the glasses are just fine. Subtext being, stop telling me I'm not enough. And the same thing, but then I'll be un- unlovable and unsafe. And those are the only reasons we ever get triggered to this day. And it's only when we can be in the most sympathetic, empathetic, compassionate relationship with ourselves that we can then do that for other people.
0: Yeah, a lot of defensiveness stems from something much deeper, <laughs> not yeah. feeling not feeling seen, not feeling unconditionally loved, but also you have to un- love yourself unconditionally, and you have to pick yourself, you have to be your own best friend, and, and that's really hard. So you talked about a lot of times we create these confirmation biases in our life and these mental models from our past. And if you t- go talk to any psychologist, of course, they're going to go back to your childhood, and there is a lot of power in that. But how do you make sure that you can go through that past without letting it define your future?
1: <clears throat> so good. So, you know, one of the things, one of the stories I love to talk about is how a child in the classroom who puts their hand up to ask a teacher a question. And we can all remember this scenario. If it didn't happen to us, we certainly know it. You know, they like, pick me. I want to answer it. And they get it wrong. And everybody giggles. And that giggle is a nervous giggle sometimes. Or they've maybe said something that's a bit a bit way out. Either way, the child that experienced getting the answer wrong, because we get coded through cause and effect and right and wrong, you know, if the if the effect is unpleasant, we feel like we're the cause, and then we feel like we're on the wrong side of that right-wrong equation. We store it as an experience never to repeat. And in the future, 30 years later, you're grown human in a meeting or grown adult, I mean, obviously we're human, <laughs> but we're in a meeting and your brain is processing the environment and working out what could go wrong and matching it. And it doesn't matter how accurately or inaccurately it matches it. It makes a decision based on your past and then projects what could go wrong in the future and then informs you how you should behave now. So exactly as you've said, It's only when you can begin to objectively look at it that you can actually begin to change that narrative. And you have to look at it. It's like you have to want to look at it. You know, there are some people who don't want to. That is completely their choice. They're okay to live their life like that. They'll get by because they've got all these strategies and all these ways of being that they've developed. Some will be more successful than others. But it's those that want to truly perform I always say that that stuff in the past that has the six-year-old version of you running your meetings today, for example, and those outdated experiences with that imprint that they left on you that is undealt with, then you can't possibly be the best version of yourself in those circumstances. That's when imposter syndrome comes in. That's when not-enoughness, nervousness, a fear, um, an idea about ourselves, like we think we're shy. We say things like, I am shy, I am too much, I am not enough, I am quite bossy, I am alpha, but if we cut anybody open, you'll never find shy in there or alpha in there. These are ways of being, not what we truly are. And that point there alone is if, shows that those ways of being that were developed to deal with life could be changed at any point, but we have to see how they got formed because otherwise they're running you silently. You're taking action. You don't know why you're taking the action you're taking, but you just keep taking the same action. And when we drop it, I always say it's like cutting away sea anchors that were hooked into your back. You drop baggage. You drop outdated ideas that don't fit you anymore. And in that process, I've literally had clients say, weird, I'm running faster. I like had a best PB again, you know? And it's like, yeah, that's what happens. When we drop the noise in our head, the mental noise, And we make peace with ourselves, then there's room for other stuff that's more interesting, like living life more fully, running better, eating better, nourishing yourself mentally and physically in better and better ways.
0: Yeah, it sounds like, number one, identifying the narrative that you are perpetually and continually saying to yourself I say I I have a mental skills course and one of the first quotes in there is, the most powerful voice is the one inside your own head because you define your own experiences. So number one, identifying this narrative. Number two, having the courage to go back to figure out where that initial software was uploaded into your brain of this is who I am and this is how I deal with the world. And then number three, being able to break that pattern so you can drop the baggage. Number one and number two are hard, but doable, but breaking the pattern and dropping the baggage is perhaps the hardest because we relapse into old behavior. So how do you break that pattern?
1: So I think the minute you can present something for yourself, by default, it instantly loses power over you because you know when it's unseen and it's unacknowledged, it's running you. And I always use this example of like, if you're driving down the highway and you want to overtake the car in front, you want to get past it, then essentially you will use what you know in life. So for this scenario, it's your mirrors and your indicators. That's it. That's all you know at this stage. You don't know you can turn your head. You don't know that you can move and position yourself to see a blind spot. And it's quite funny, actually, I just got a a new car. I haven't had a new car for a really long time. They now do the blind spot on the whole wing mirror thing. I didn't know that was a thing even. I thought you still had to turn. But anyway, in the current circumstances that you have of life from this story or the way I'm telling it, this analogy, you will take actions based purely on what you know. The day you learn something about yourself, you have an increased awareness It's a bit like walking into a room and having your feet stuck to the ground. And then the mirror on the wall gives you only the perspective you can see. But the minute your feet are unstuck, you know, you have more malleability in your brain. It's more pliable and you can see more. Then you can see a greater picture and choose where you want to stand. But in the scenario of the car, the day you learn that you can turn your head, you'll have increased awareness. And if previously you've been driving along and pulling out in the analogy, taking actions that had people around you sort of giving you rude hand gestures and being a bit stroppy, <laughs> a bit of road rage going on around you. You would have said things like, God, why do people behave like this? Why is it always me that they're rude to? But the day that you have this increased awareness and you see there's something in your blind spot, a blind spot you had about yourself previously, you get to take a different action. And that different action sets you up differently. It sets you up differently because suddenly you're behaving differently. But in an informed way, you make that choice because you can see what you previously couldn't see. And I always say to people, it's a bit like when you're looking for your stapler on your desk and you can't see it. The minute you see it, it was so obvious. You can't unsee something about yourself and you can't unlearn something about yourself. Once they're there, they're there. And then you get to choose. But you do have to practice it. You can learn it and know it. But the neural pathways are so habitually well-worn. you That's where I think coaching becomes, um, and of course, obviously I would say this, right? But that's where coaching becomes invaluable. And in actual fact, I often say to my clients, the teaching is the beginning. I'll teach you this stuff. The coaching comes later. Because the coaching is when you're building the muscle and practicing,
0: right? Yeah, so it sounds like from a, so for a person to realize that they can turn their head or to be able to identify what these blind spots are it's a practice of probably working with somebody else because you're so tied down to your own narrative that it's so hard to be able to work your way out of that and a big part of coaching is actually getting somebody to talk and process out loud so getting them to create that space where they can maybe form a new narrative
1: i think that's absolutely spot on because you know you cannot see yourself from you I like, I know that my nose sits on my face and I can look in the mirror, but when I'm not looking in the mirror, I don't know what it's doing. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty much just hanging there most of the day, but you get what I'm saying, right? We don't understand how our way of being is creating our world until we look at it. it. You have to presence this stuff and then you have to look at it and take it on. And then you have to choose, like you have to want to change it. So that's a crucial part. I've had people come to me that want to understand sometimes why they're doing something, and then they they sometimes don't want to do the work that it takes because it, you know, I think it takes real courage to take yourself on, real courage to set yourself free. Some people feel safer with Better the Devil They Know and sticking to those neural pathways that have run
0: them all their life. What are some powerful questions you like to use in your coaching to help people identify these things? <laughs>
1: I have a a favorite one that I love to use when people will perhaps be returning to an old pattern of behavior. And this question answers so many things when people sit and think about it. But I'll say, How is that serving you? Because the one thing that I learned when I acknowledged that I created my life in the image I felt that I deserved was that everything that was in my life I had put there for better or for worse. And I use this. I use this really good visual analogy for this. If you had a friend that came round and every time, like you knew them for years before you ever invited them to your house. And the first time you invite them round, they take a dump on your carpet. Okay, they sit down and they squat one out. (laughs) You're gonna be pretty shocked by that. Especially, uh, or even if they just didn't use the loo properly, the toilet properly, you're gonna have a problem with that most likely. If you run a clean house <laughs> or just a hygienic house. And the point is, you might say, wow, dude, why, are you, why have you done that? And they're like, oh, this is just what I like to do when I'm in people's houses. Now, that's going to be a red line. Now, you may risk having them around one more time, having said, please don't do that again. And they may agree not to and then still do it. or then, Or you may just never have them back again. The point is, it's such a strong visual. It shows you that they do something that you are not prepared to tolerate. You won't do it, like going shopping with bare feet. Perhaps if you're not used to having bare feet, it's something you just don't want to do. So you won't tolerate it. You'll find something, even if you go to the, you know, this a smart supermarket in your Wellington boots, as we call them here in the your gum boots. I think I don't know what you, I don't know what they call them where you're from.
0: <laughs> Actually, but, I live in Canada, and uh, they call them gum boots here as well. The, the British boots,
1: roots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. So, so yeah, it's like you know, it doesn't really matter. You'll do it. You know, it's a bit like sometimes people will look ridiculous, but they don't care because it's kept them dry or something. We have our hard lines. And what I say is that when you start to see what you're bringing into your life, whether it works for you or doesn't work for you, it's always working for you. It's getting big enough and brave enough and honest enough with yourself to see where it's working for you, even when it's creating something negative. And nine times out of 10, It's creating the ability to not be responsible for ourselves. Nine times out of 10, it's a way of stepping off and saying, well, it wasn't me, this happened, and I can't show up now because of this. Nine times out of 10, it's an excuse.
0: Yeah, taking responsibility for yourself is one of the hardest things, but once you have the confidence to do that, it's also one of the most empowering things because it's like, it sucks whenever something bad happened and it's your fault. But if you know that you're gonna be okay because of it, it just kind of goes back down to what we talked about at the very beginning of I am worthy and I'm worthy, even though I made a mistake, I'm worthy, even though, you know, the outcome wasn't what I had hoped for. But a lot of times people will try to do all the work. Like I've had people that I know that will like read the self-help books or get the coaching and they objectively know all these things, but they still can't put it into practice in their life because they won't take responsibility for themselves. And it, it seems like there are certain personality types that just really struggle with this. Have you come across any people like that, and how did you help them?
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, I've had um, I've had quite because I've dealt with some pretty high performers at times. I've had some clients that truly they kind of want to know because they like having all the stuff. They like maybe sometimes they've got they've got quite a significant role in life, or they're they're a bit famous or something, and as a result or very famous, they're pretty attached to their way of being. And usually, we will only give something up if we can see something better on the other side of it. So you have to be pretty committed to your own self-development. Or, you know, you have to be pretty committed to that, even that phrase, taking responsibility. It even as we say it here, in this context, sounds like, oh, I'm gonna have to go and own up to that. You know, it's got that weight and that stigma about it. whereas actually what most people don't realize, and it shifts when they do see this, is that when we don't take full responsibility for our life, the price is much greater. You've got stones in your shoe for the rest of your life in some aspects, but there's real freedom and peace. There's a real empowerment and, and having of your voice when you get onto the other side of this equation. Because, you know, when my life doesn't work, this year, I decided to grow my business And as a result of growing it, I came up against my stuff, as it always does. Every time we spiral up, (laughs) your stuff will come up to be dealt with. So my stuff came up and I was so grateful for my own mindset because I kept on saying, "Okay, how did you create this? What can you be responsible for here? What did you bring to the party and how is it serving you? And it's in the asking of those questions of ourselves that we can see that I'm not a victim. I'm not, I'm not just at the mercy of my circumstances. And then I get that I'm creating life. Now that's exciting. Because I can remember that bittersweet moment as I went through all this processing myself of going, oh my Lord, I did this to me. Oh man, I did this. You know, and it was a kind of scary moment of like, oh shit, I did this. And thinking, well, hang on a minute. I did not even know I was driving a car, let alone had hold of the steering wheel. You know, and I say to people now, yeah, I've been down the odd dead end. I've, I've curbed it. You know, I've bumped the bumper a couple of times. But you know what? I'm driving and I know when to take my foot off and brake a little bit and when I can put my foot down and go for it because I'm in control. And that has been kind of so liberating for me. You know, I'm like, huh, who knew I was doing all of this? that I no longer want to give that back. I want to keep hold of that because I get to dictate how my life rolls out, right?
0: Yeah, and a big part of happiness. Um, in the research is feeling like you're in control of your time and feeling like you're in control of your life. And I love the metaphor that you use about driving, you know, getting if you're not even behind the wheel, you're not even in control, you use a metaphor of blind spots of hitting the curb of the accelerator and the brake, like there's a lot of great things that people can extract from that and apply to their own life.
1: Yeah, I think a good visual, being able to visualize something always helps for relating it, you know, making it relatable in some way. And I'm I'm a proper analogy person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I come up with some ones that really don't sort of land sometimes and others that are very, but I'm good at sort of like one of my skill sets I've learned is taking more complicated ideas and simplifying them so that people go, oh, I get it when you put it like that, you know.
0: <laughs> well, I do like the turd with the frosting analogy. That was pretty good. <laughs> We're all turds just with different <laughs> frostings.
1: <laughs> yeah, all those like crappy beliefs. But it's, if you think about it as a turd, what I love about that is like when you can see somebody who's trying to cover up their their not enoughness or their inadequacy in some way, they will either be really quiet, thinking they're hiding it, but you can tell because they're being really quiet, or they'll overcompensate, and those are the ones that are the big loud mouths in the room, and. They always think people who are behaving like that, but you can't see it. But it's like, hey, dude, it's still a turn. We can smell it a mile off. You know, (laughs) and that's when sometimes you either can see it because you're more aware and understand what someone's doing or you don't understand what they're doing, but you just know there's something about that guy I just don't trust or I just don't like. We see it. You know, it's always there. how you are being will always dictate the results you have in life on some level. I always say, like, think of X Factor, right? There's the stage. What are they all doing? Singing. What makes the difference? How they're being. You'll get people sometimes with half as much talent as the most talented person up there, but they're such a character. They're so expressed. They're so vivacious and full of life. We're attracted to them because they're just being themselves. They're being true or vulnerable and it doesn't have to be you know, loud and brilliant. It can be meek and 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 vulnerable. And we can just we get them. Those are the people we vote for,
0: yeah. the theme of vulnerability, um this is a theme that I really like just because once you're comfortable being vulnerable, that means that you probably have the security in yourself to be like, i'm I'm okay. And I can put this stuff about me. Whether, like whatever the reason is, um, maybe it's to help others or to relate, but once you are comfortable being vulnerable, then it's very freeing because you realize, hey, like people, well, if people are judging me, it doesn't really matter. And if people aren't judging me, hey, I guess I'm okay anyway. And having that deep sense of okayness is is such a, a great place to be. But it's, I feel like there can be times where you feel that way, but it's, it's sort of a a roller coaster ride. And you mentioned like your stuff coming back up every time you try to scale or grow. And you can feel that I'm okay. But then once you push yourself outside your comfort zone, you have to bump back up against that feeling of okay, I'm being vulnerable again. And now I don't feel like I'm okay.
1: Yeah, although it's less not okay. And it's more like, oh, I'm in new territory again. So The frustration that will come up for me sometimes is that I don't know. I don't know what, what, like when I had to learn marketing speak, it was like a whole other language. It might as well have been Chinese, right? (laughs) And I was so naturally a coach and so attuned to people's sensitivities and how they were feeling. I was like, you know, would you want coaching? No. Okay, no problem. No problem. You know, and I was like super polite about it. And it's not about being in someone's face and forcing them to take it. It's about being the intervention that they need to hear. It's about being prepared to say to them, well, you know, you're going to have to do something about that, right? It doesn't have to be me, but you are going to have to do something if you want to change that. And when I... Discovered that 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 actually was more of a service to another human being. It was much easier to do. I kind of had to reframe it in my head, I suppose. Uh, It was a way to be of service more powerfully. People will still make a choice at the end of the day, and people will always be cynical. So people will either hear you for what they for how you're being or not. It's just the way people and human beings have been designed, and you know what I'm very clear about is each of our people as a coach, you know, I, I love meeting other coaches. I love referring to other coaches as well. And I love being alongside other coaches because we can't do it alone. There's more than enough people and our people hear us, you know, I am never, I'm, I'm, I'm never not blown away by how many people are so similar to me that come to work with me. You know, it's like, oh man, I've been down this path. I know what you're talking about, girlfriend. You know, I get it. And I'm like, yep, I'm going to be the one that can walk you through this for sure. And there'll be someone who's had different experiences to me where I will not be the best person for them. And it's so important, you know, to the client who's looking for a coach to find their coach, find the person that hears you, sees you, gets you.
0: Yeah, so going back, I'm just going to pick on this a little bit, going back to like scaling and growing your business. Um, you know, rejection is a a big part of being a business person, there's going to be a lot of things that come along the way, um, you know, things that didn't work, or even getting rejected by others. So how do you deal with those with your mindset and skill set?
1: So I don't view it anymore. I, I tell you one of the things that went actually in this process of doing a deep dive on myself, when I learned to look after me, And I learned that I had value. Like I say to everybody, our value doesn't change from the day we're born to the day we die. The only thing that changes is our perception. When we're getting things really right, we'll feel better. And we're getting them really wrong, we'll feel worse. And our perception will go up and down. And I took that on and thought, right, well, that means essentially it's never really changed. And if you took an average, it's pretty flat line through life. You are never changing. in value. You're always valuable and unique. So don't buy into that anymore, Polly. It's kind of what I said to Hmm. myself. And somebody can say they don't want to work with me. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. I got it. It means our energies aren't aligned and we're not the best people. Or sometimes they say they do want to work with me, but they've got to go away and make it work. And no problem. Let me know how I can support you. It's if someone is working with you when they're not ready or didn't really want to, it's not going to go well anyway. So it's either a com- kind of mutual, you know, blessed parting or it's, a, it's not quite the right time. Because when it is the right time and you are aligned and everybody's happy, then it's a powerful partnership, which I feel it is a partnership, right? Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you want it to be at least because if you're working harder than the client, something's a bit squiffy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And what I also heard you say underneath all that is like rejection isn't just about you. Like you don't take it personally. And a lot of times when someone tells you no or says this isn't working, it might not even be because of you.
1: Yeah, you know, the only person, and I learned this because rejection was a big thing for me. I felt very rejected by my father, and then my mother was very distracted by the dominant relationship she was in. So I felt very rejected by her. And of course, then what I went out into the world was to prove that, you know, rejection was going to happen to me. So I had dodgy relationships with dodgy people, you know, (laughs) so that just to prove I was right. Um, But ultimately, And actually, you know, there is this thing that we train people how to treat us, which is really hard to hear when we're in difficult relationships.
0: My mom used to tell me that all the time. I was like in my late teens and just having the same bad relationship one after the another. And my mom would say, you train people how to treat you. And I just never even understood what that meant. And something shifted. But yeah. So anyway, keep going. (laughs) No, I
1: I love it because it's a thing, right? When you see it, you can't unsee it anymore again. And you go, oh, my God, I did. And it's funny because even my own husband, whilst he's a really lovely human being, he was definitely more dismissive and crueler and contemptuous of me at times previously in our marriage to how he is today. And and I also think I looked for it more. Like he used to roll his eyes. And I can't tell you if he's an eye roller or not anymore, because just don't look for it. And if he does roll his eyes, well, that's about him, not me. You know, even if he is being intolerant with me, it's still about him, not me. And knowing that I had value and that my value hadn't shifted. it it dissolved my imposter syndrome, which used to be really bad for me. It just went. And I remember literally, it was kind of like a weird conversation with my husband one day, we were in a sauna together. And I said, you know what, my imposter syndrome's definitely gone. And he went, can't have gone, babe, it's probably just dialed right down. (laughs) And I was like, no, dude, it's gone. It's like, I don't feel inadequate in any situation. I don't care how much rank, fame or wealth or money someone's got. They are just experiencing life differently to me, but not better than me. And I, there's a John D. Martini, he's a great um, like human behavior expert. He's in the secret and has done quite a lot of work. He's a really interesting guy. And he always says, and I loved this, he said, when we put someone on a pedestal, we pedestalize somebody, we are denying something in ourselves. We're saying they've got it and I haven't but we all have the same and it's equally like when we uh, look down on someone and we judge them we're doing the same because polarity exists inside of us i say to everybody like inside of you is a murderer and a saint and it'll just take different experiences that you choose to tap into or that happen to you for those different ones to come out we'll all go there pushed hard enough in each of those directions and and therefore when you understand that nobody has got anything more, they just might be better academically or sportingly than you. They might have a natural talent on the piano or with their voice. I mean, I sing like a a half dead dove. So, you know, I'm definitely not going to be up there on the stage, but it doesn't mean I have less value. And that's what took it away. And from that perspective was, okay, so what is my zone of genius then? Because everybody has one. And I recognize mine was coaching and crazy analogies. <laughs> so <Sorry>, like <laughs> dive into those.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love what you just said about the pedestal. Um, this is something that I'm currently working through is I've achieved a lot of things in my life, but I hate people to know about them because people will find out like I've done X, Y, or Z. And then they immediately are like, wow, that's so amazing. And they put me up here and I, I don't want them to. I don't. I want them to see themselves as an equal to me. And like learning to own your successes and not be so worried about making somebody else feel bad, like minimizing yourself because you're afraid of somebody else feeling bad about where they're at in their life is a really hard place to be as an empathetic person.
1: Yeah, I really get that. And actually, um, I'm naturally previously where I thought little of myself I wouldn't be great at taking compliments and then as I learned to understand my value I was like how do I take the compliment without looking like a smug cat you know (laughs) and it's like how do you let the communication that someone is giving you of wow I really want to acknowledge what you've done how do you let that land without looking like you are really invested in that side of things and I I watched somebody once, it was on one of my training courses, actually. And she just said, thank you, I got the acknowledgement. And it was so graceful the way she did it. She looked the person in the eye, she said, thank you, I got the acknowledgement. And then she carried on. And and I thought, oh, that makes sense. You know, the the amount of people I'd seen who kind of go, oh, thank you so much. Yes, I am (laughs) so great. You know, that's why it used to gross me out. (laughs) I didn't want to be like that. So when people... Feedback, the impact sometimes that the experience has had on them. I, I'm, there's two things I say. One, thank you. I got the acknowledgement, but two, please know, I'm just the vessel that it went through. I'm the facilitator because this knowledge, I have a unique way of interpreting it, but it's not my knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no original thought. We're, I studied hard to learn this, and now you're studying hard, and I'm just one of your mentors, like I have many mentors. And it's just a case of keeping it all flowing, right? It's just knowledge that we keep flowing around, and we are waking up more and more as a species. Our consciousness is waking up more and more. And, you know, more of us are getting that, you know, you talked about, I think there was something you talked about, you know, performance at one point, how do you see yourself? You know, no athlete, athletes have known this for years. They're way ahead of us. No top athlete would dream of going to something like the Olympics or some important event without a coach because they know they can't objectively see themselves. It takes an outside perspective. And for someone to reflect that back at you for you to begin to see yourself. So there's no, there's no sort of, it's so, like people often think you have coaching because you're a bit broken or you need help. Actually, it's a super responsible thing to do. It's how you see yourself in the best possible light and how you can project. And like I said, athletes have been way ahead of this and business world is catching up now.
0: Yeah, a lot of times coaching, people think of it as like a physical thing, like, oh, I need to coach someone to coach my workouts or even like nutrition. I need someone to coach me to tell me you know, what I need to eat. But training your mind, training how you view the world and your perception and getting out of these narratives and habit loops that you're stuck in is so powerful. But that often is the first thing that we dismiss of needing help with. And like I, I feel like right now it's just starting to become this thing where people are realizing, hey, like this is actually a game changer. A lot of the top performers have like mental skills coaches or performance coaches and that you can really change your game because like you said, you you can't see yourself appropriately. You need to be able to work with somebody that can mirror what you're doing but also to help elevate you and help you see yourself in a clearer way without these barriers or these anchors.
1: Totally. And you know, when The simplest of things will hold somebody back from being the cleanest of performers. I've never forgotten with one particular client, really powerful woman. And I mean, like with a massive game plan. And she had it that her mother who had had her when she was very young, was just a really inadequate mother. And there was what this tiny step change in in how we viewed it when I asked her, If she thought her mother, who got pregnant with her young, had any chance, do you think your mother really had a chance to fully parent you? Or do you think because she was so young herself, people had already made a choice that she couldn't parent you? And it was just her going, huh, I never thought about that. Like (laughs) your mother was set up to fail. Your mother was never believed in because she'd already made the mistake of getting pregnant so young. People had already made decisions about her parenting skills. And my client, in that moment, her whole relationship, her, her, like she had empathy for her mother in a whole new way and got that her mother had never really been given the chance. So all her judgment fell away. When our judgments fall away like that and our compassion and empathy and our heart is filled up, we literally move differently. Our physiology changes. We loosen up. We're not so brittle. We're freer. We're more abandoned. And actually this is how my physical performance changed. I had just had my seventh miscarriage, but I'd done all of this work. And we were going away to France and I discovered from the scan on the Thursday that the baby had died again. And obviously that I was pretty practiced at this stage and how to handle it. And I'm, I'm, I'm good at handling this stuff, albeit it's very unpleasant. And I was going to have to have an operation because I was flying out to France and it was a whole group of us going. I didn't want to spoil the holiday for my family. And on the back of that, I was flying out to L.A. to go and see one of my mentors. And so all this stuff was planned and booked and paid for. And I could have got out of it. But what would that have done? I would have just sat at home and moped. So I decided to go. Now, when I was younger, and fearless and much closer to the ground, I used to ski like a demon. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When I got older and the distance got bigger, I was much more cautious as a skier. And particularly after I had my son and I was always sort of thinking, oh, be careful because, you know, Harry's with me, like every checking everyone's that real mum kind of thing that we do where we just are a lot more cautious. And here I was, my son now was something like uh, 11. I had had my seventh miscarriage. And I am skiing on the slopes and I haven't hit them for a while. I haven't been on the slopes for about four or five years. And I'm in the class and I'm noticing that everything he's telling me is just coming like that. And I'm noticing I'm going faster than I've been in a long, long time and I'm feeling freer. And suddenly I realized like, I'm turning like really super. I used to do a bit of a racing skiing when I was younger. And I'm racing and I'm, I'm getting faster and I'm feeling good and I'm feeling secure. And it hit me in that moment, like, oh, this is something, this work I've been doing, this is something because I feel freer, I'm being freer. And that freedom allows us to, there's less noise, there's less, there's less clogging you up and it's so physical. And that's when I knew I was onto something. That's when I thought, this isn't just mindset, this is mindset and performance. <laughs> you know, because I could feel it, my performance. I was skiing like I skied when I was 12. Mm-hmm. And it felt good. So, yeah, I'm never surprised now when my clients say I'm running faster. And I've I've had a footballer, a guy who was in a a, a very um, prominent football club here in the UK, and he was like, I don't understand it. Why am I running faster? And like, to me, it's super obvious because your mind is loosened up and your body is an expression of your mind. So where your mind is stiff and rigid and caught and blocked, so is your body.
0: Yeah, our mental limitations definitely show up physically in our body. Yeah. I've always said that. I've always said it, kind of without really understanding how acutely
1: appropriate what I was saying was. I used to say my my body's a barometer of my mind, you know, <laughs> um, but it so is. It's like literally a very sensitive barometer.
0: So I have a question. Thanks for sharing about your miscarriages. I'm sure that's not still not a comfortable topic, and I also feel like there's a miscarriage is a lot more common than people think it is and a lot more than it's actually reported. And I've done a lot of podcasting about, you know, being a mom, I have a 17 month old babe, just and just talking, I just talked about my pregnancy and exercise and all those things in the past. So I just appreciate that you're sharing that part of the story, because a lot of people don't share that part. But I also wanted to ask you about the mindset around how to deal with that. Because Whether it's a miscarriage or whether it's a repeated thing that's out of your control that keeps happening in your life, how do you remain positive and optimistic and continue to try? And it sounds like you kept trying. How did you do that despite all these things out of your control that were happening?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm glad you asked because I I actually, probably part of how I've dealt with it has been through sharing, whilst not like breaking down and pouring out, you know, I've definitely had those moments privately. But I also know it's not something to be hidden and to be, you know, brushed under the carpet. And lots of people still do that, but that never helps or forwards the conversation because whatever we keep something quiet, there's someone else who thinks they can't talk about it. And, and I, I developed this, the first one blindsided me because my first pregnancy was my son. So I'm very fortunate to have my son. And therefore the second time I got pregnant, I truly didn't expect that. And I got quite far along and, uh, about three, I was at the three month point. So really was like expecting this all to go well, like, Hey, we're coming into the second trimester. Woohoo. I was showing, you know, the body the second time around and loves to pop back out where it used to be and go, yay, we're on. <laughs> And so I was feeling super pregnant and it was actually a missed miscarriage. So the body still thought I was pregnant, but the baby had died at about seven, seven and a half weeks. And I was totally thrown. And I remember being really stunned and spending a bit of time feeling quite spacey and a bit blindsided. But I was also very grateful for the son that I had, you know, and I I think I probably believed at that point that because I had one, had one kind of lose one. Maybe this is just going to be fine. I didn't think it was going to be a pattern. And there was a growing sense of, oh, no, as they continue to happen for sure. But what I did was I decided that I would really acknowledge what was happening. I never denied it. And the way I acknowledged it was I would ring fence that because sometimes people don't deal with the grief or fully face it. And then it goes on sort of lingering for months and months.
0: What do you mean by ring face it? Sorry to interrupt no, no, it's okay.
1: It's great. Ring fence it. So I gave myself a period of time. And within that period of time, and for me, it was three days, which sounds little, but I was a mindset person already. So I was already a coach. So I was pretty skilled up in many senses as a way of being able to deal with it. And I gave myself three days. In that three days, I you could stick your positive thinking right where the sun doesn't shine. You know, I would drink if I wanted to, get drunk if that's what I needed to do, I'd overeat, I'd have a whole packet of biscuits if that's what I wanted. I'd cry till there was snot running off my face, you know. I would just let myself fully, fully feel it. And then at the end of three days I'd be like, right, come on girl you've got this. Mm -hmm. So to pat myself on the arm and I'd look at my son and I'd be grateful. And you know, I would, I would farm my son out for those three days if I could be ugly, if that's what I needed to be, you know, and I didn't kind of transfer it onto him. And in that, you know, make him feel bad about it or cling to him like he was my only rock. And when I, I just want to, you know, say it has made him very important, you know, in that, it's like, oh, if you're my only one, I don't want to miss anything. (laughs) I'll come to that. You know? <laughs> so I, I don't take anything for granted. Whereas my best friend, every time she sat down, she seems to get pregnant. She's got like so many children. It's ridiculous. And they're like my godchildren. But she's like, oh, I gave up after three. I can't remember what any of them are called and what they're doing. And they, so we have a very different view, you know, in that um, I totally appreciate while she's there. And why and she totally understands why I am quite precious about some stuff, you know, and store every letter I've ever had from Harry and every card he ever made me, which I probably wouldn't do if I had half a dozen of them running around the house. But I just I face it, you know, and like I said, the being ugly thing, not everybody can handle it. So you have to know who your people are, who are you going to talk to, who's not going to be scared by this and what do you need? Like, really, what do you need? And there's been times outside of those three days where I've been walking up the stairs and suddenly it's hit me. We have this big supermarket here. It's not really a supermarket. It's like a a home store called John Lewis. And John Lewis always do these really cool Christmas ads. Everybody loves them. And they did one a couple of years ago where it was Elton John, the singer going back through the ages and getting different things. And then this little boy came running in to see a piano one day and I was watching it. And when the little boy came running in, I just dropped to the floor and cried. It just got me in that moment. But I just let myself, there's no shame. It was just a moment of like, oh, I would have loved another little monkey, another little boy, because they have the cutest bottoms and they're the (laughs) sweetest little beings, you know? And it's like, I would have loved that, but I'm still really grateful for what I've got.
0: So it's a balance. It sounds like really taking the time to not ignore how you feel, but also having a renewed sense of gratitude for what you do have. Yeah,
1: totally. Totally. Because, you know, and there are some people I totally appreciate who may listen to this, may hear this, who who may have just had miscarriages and not have a child. And and I know how tough that is because we're so uh, primeval bred to want to breed. And I also, not to make this then a platitude to put over the top of that, but I also know there are many children out there that could really benefit from the love that we have to give. And so sometimes, you know, there's other ways this thing can work out. So I always say it's not over till the fat lady sings and she hasn't sung yet, (laughs) but it is probably increasingly unlikely. But, you know, only a positive attitude and a love of life is what will give me more life.
0: Well, thanks. I think we covered a lot of really important topics, a lot of food for thought for people, you know, from being vulnerable with yourself to being able to revisit your past to see how that's creating a narrative in your current life to the importance of coaching to taking responsibility, and then also just dealing with grief, and that's a lot in an hour. <laughs> um, and I'm so I'm so glad that we went to all of those places. Where can people find you if they want more Polly and more more turd analogies? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, brilliant. I love it. Yes, Polly Potty Mouth and all her weird analogies. So um, on any of the social media platforms, but mostly on Instagram, I'm just at the Polly Bateman. There's a lovely lady called Polly Bateman. I did write to her. She's got the Polly and she wouldn't let me have it. So I had to become the Polly Bateman. The
0: Polly Bateman. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And Because I'm British, I was super weird about that and super awkward to begin with, but I've got over it now. So, um, so yeah, it's at the Polly on social media. And then it's just the Polly on my website.
0: Come find me, come connect. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, sharing all of your wisdom and a few of your coaching skills. And I hope people connect with you. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been lovely to spend the time with you too. I hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you like the show so that others can find it as well. And I always love seeing it when you guys share it on social media. It makes me feel so good to know that this podcast is bringing value to you and the guests love it too. So thank you so much for listening. I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. And I'll see you right back here next week.